are now about to witness the strength of knowledge. This is Steve Dace. Raising a banner of bold colors, no pale pastels. People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. Our rights are inherent and essential. Derived from our maker. That is liberty. And liberty will reign in America. This is Steve Dace. Happy Wednesday. Thanks for tuning in to today's free podcast powered by CRTV. I'm Steve Dace. Thanks for tuning in today on either Westwood One, Stitcher, or iTunes. And we would love it again if you'd leave us a positive review. That helps to get the word out. Others see what others think. And it helps to get them to think, hey, I should give this a shot. Now, if you don't like us, you're like, guys, man, you you reek. Cool. We probably do. But do us at least this solid. Just keep it quiet. Don't lie. Just move on kind of kindly mosey along and listen to what your mama said uh if you ain't got nothing nice to say say nothing at all while we violate what your mama said throughout the course of the rest of this podcast more than likely steve at stevedace.com is the email address you can like us on facebook follow us on twitter at steve day show and the last name is spelled d-e-a-c-e todd and aaron are here along for the ride gentlemen we just finished uh, taping today's episode for CRTV, which our audience can access by using my name as a promo code, promo code DACE at CRTV.com, and that'll get you access to all of the shows here on CRTV, including the great one Mark Levin and more. And we're continuing our series on the seven deadly worldviews. It's the penultimate episode, which for those of you like me who went to public school, because I had to look it up too, it actually means second to last. I had to look that up. I didn't know what it meant. And then I realized for many years, I thought it meant something more, far more highfalutin than that. I realized for many years I was using it in the wrong context, but so few people knew what it meant that no one laughed at me or corrected me the whole time. <laughs> it's like a really special pen that rich people use. Yes. Which meant I probably could have just gone on using it wrong. And most of us that live in places here, like, you know, in the Midwest, like, oh, that's a cool word. I'll just borrow it myself and we'll all just use it wrong. But it really means second to last. So it's the second to last episode of our series on the seven deadly worldviews. And today we're going to talk about syncretism, which is the blending of one or two belief systems for the purpose of creating another. And we're going to get far more into what that definition means and how it, it, it is prevalently portrayed in the culture on the television side of things so again crtv.com promo code dace you don't want to miss that and remember with this series now when this series ends it won't always be the case that the television show and the and the podcast are necessarily a complementary entity meaning that the the podcast is a direct follow-up of what we did on CRTV. But for the purposes of this series, that is the case. So if you've not watched today's television episode yet, you might want to watch that first before you listen to today's podcast to get the full meaning. And that probably is true with the whole series we've done on these seven deadly worldviews so far. The purposes of the podcast in the series is then to provide the follow-up and maybe the follow-through. And I want us to spend our time here today drawing some distinctions because on one level if we want to be a free people we have to be willing to tolerate people's views we don't share and i don't care who you are i don't care if you put the fun and fundamentalism like i do i don't care if you're uh, a religious i don't care if you're jewish i don't care if you come from another christian tradition different from mine or anybody else here on on, on set um I, I don't care 
what your what your plumb line is, what the core of your value system is. If we want to be a free people, we have to provide room for folks to have a conscience that differs from ours. There's a great theologian named Ravi Zacharias who has made the um, observation in history that the greatest times of tyranny occur when either the state is all-powerful or the church is all-powerful. And what he means by that is, is these two entities decide they get to determine corporately the conscience of a culture. And to violate their determination is a crime. The essence of tyranny. Whether it is Nero starting his own empire on fire and then blaming the Christians and creating them as second-class citizens in the first century and sparking a persecution. Whether it's the Christian church saying, well, if you're not a Christian or you're not going to go by our specific perspective of Christianity, we might inquire so to speak, and to who you are and where you're from. And, and maybe, maybe we're not down with that altogether. We have to leave room for conscience. Now, ultimately, our way of life has to be based on something solid. Our laws have to be based on something solid. But aside from that, we have to leave room for conscience unless someone's conscience guides them to do something that violates somebody else's God-given rights. Meaning my conscience leads me to abuse your children. My conscience abuse, it leads me to abuse you. My conscience leads me to murder you. Well, then, therefore, you are violating someone else's God-given rights, and that's when we bring the state in to punish you for your conscience leading you to, or not having one, and leading you, or whatever one you have, leading you to malfeasance. Short of that, though, we have to provide a place that permits differing views. We have struggled with this our entire history. And you know why we have struggled with this our entire history? Well, because we have struggled with this our entire history, meaning we haven't just struggled with this our entire history as Americans because we have. I mean, the, the tenet in the U.S. Constitution that says no religious test for office, we read that today to mean that you can believe any religion you want, even Satanism, and no one can question you on it if you run for office, except that's not what it meant. It was put in there because many of the original 13 colonies were started by churches. I think all of them were, except for Rhode Island, who was started by a reformer that wanted to practice religious pluralism, Roger Sherman, I believe, right? Is that yes. my history? Okay. Um, but I think the other 12 were started by churches. And they were an official outreach of the church. They were collecting tithes for the church. And so there was this fear, if, if you were um, an Episcopalian in Virginia— you had this fear that the Congregationalists in Connecticut were going to tell you when they got to Washington, uh, they were going to they were to you know, force everybody in America to become Congregationalists, or vice versa. Everybody has to become an Episcopalian, or if you're in Georgia, if, uh, Georgia's going to make everybody become Baptists. Maryland's going to make everybody become uh, Catholic or Baptist because they kind of had a split there in that state. Pennsylvania is going to make everybody become Quakers. 
And so the U.S. Constitution says that is a matter for you on a state level to decide. Here on the federal level, there will be no religious test for office because in these state constitutions, it would say, hey, if you're not part, forget, they would often say if you're Jewish, you can't run for office. If you're Muslim, you can't run for office. They'd go a step further. They would say, hey, if you're not in our sect of Christianity, you can't run. If you're Catholic, you can't run for office in Georgia. What are you talking about? We don't let North Carolina, Catholic, uh, you ain't got, uh, we, we, don't, we, don't, we don't serve your kind down here. That's how we rolled. Well, at the same time, we're talking about equality for everyone. Okay, We have struggled with this as a people because we have struggled with what I'm articulating as a species. Because George W. Bush is wrong. Our inherent desire is not to be free. It is to dominate our fellow man. That's our inherent sinful desire. So we have to define where are the boundaries. And now what is happening in our day and age is we're swinging the pendulum so far the other way now. That we're removing all the things that actually used to unite us while calling that unity. We all used to agree. It was good as much as possible for a child to be born in a home with a mother and a father. Gone. Now now gone is, what's a mother and a father? That's gone now. Along with, what's a child? Gone. So we're taking away, we've gone so far now, we've swung the pendulum so far in the other direction. That now the things that used to unite us, we have rid ourselves of those. And yet we have the same discord, the same disharmony we have had when we gave the church and government too much power in our lives to determine these things for us. Why? Because St. Paul is, gets smarter every year. Especially the part where he says, in everything moderation. So how do we moderate? Not our value system now. Steve, you sound like a wimpy moderate. No, a wimpy moderate is going to tell you, moderate your value system. I don't want you to change what you believe at all. Well, let me rephrase that. I do, but not under compulsion. Like if I think what you believe is wrong, I hope over the course of time we can, we can gracefully and passionately and with enough conviction and integrity communicate what we believe is right in a way that it might persuade you. But there's a difference between persuade and compel. God could compel you now. He's interested in faithful, relational obedience. If you've ever been a parent, you can compel your children to a certain point to make them do what you want. But what you really love and desire is when your kids recognize how much you love them and they do what you think is right out of recognition of your love for them and knowing that you're coming at this advice and this guidance from a place of love and they seek to return it with their obedience. See, that's the same thing God wants from us. He could compel us at any point. At any point. But he didn't create us in his image to be robots or automatons. He created us in his image to live as if we were made in his image, to reflect him. That's why we love hearing chip off the old block. Gosh, she's a looker. She looks so much like her mama. Why do we take pride in that? For the same reason that God takes pride in the faithful obedience of his people. We're a derivative of him.
So I'm not talking about moderating your principles. I'm talking about moderating your approach to them. And understanding at some point we have to be willing to say as a people, we're going to agree to disagree. Some of the most faithful listeners we have to our show and podcast are people who are LDS, Church of Latter-day Saints. They reject Trinitarian thinking. I don't. It's an inherent aspect of my worldview and belief system. We have, we have done Theology Thursdays on Facebook Live where we've discussed this and debated it. I'm happy to discuss and debate it till the cows come home. I'm not changing my mind. Hopefully I can change yours. But if I can't, that's okay. Are there 15 other things we agree on? Cool. Then I don't know why we can't work together on those 15 other things. I mean, I just, that's real pluralism. That is real diversity. I don't have to change who I am. You don't have to change who you are. But while we're being real about who we really are, we find enough in common that we're like, we can work together. We can hang together. We can fellowship together. Because those commonalities in these situations outweigh the differences. Now, sometimes those differences in, in a certain situation are not compatible. I would not, this is, where, this is what St. Paul describes as being unevenly yoked. Like, I, I would have a hard time, hard time understanding how two people can be married if they don't have the same moral value system if they don't have the same accountability moral value system. Maybe for some people it works. By and large, I would guess, though, it does not. Because at some point in any marriage, you're going to find yourself feeling like you're in a trench. And you want to believe that the only that there's at least one person in this world you know has your back. And you're married to them. But when the proverbial, you know, what hits the fan... If, if they come at this with a different moral value system or a different divine accountability system than you do, can you really count on that? Then have kids. Well, we'll go to their church, my church. That might work for a while. That while might be until you find out how confused the kids are when they get out of the house. So there are some situations where it probably can't work. And that's okay. I think the way we can all get along is to recognize we don't always have to get along. Meaning there's a corporate get along and then within that, you know, there's a macro get along and then within that there are micro times. I just don't think we can get along. We're going to have differences here. You and I may believe in the exact same prophets the exact same Proverbs, the exact same Pentateuch, the exact same moral law. But if you don't accept that there's a new commandment I have given you, Christ says, to love one another, that we can boldly approach God's throne individually out of grace and have that level of an individual relationship with him through Christ there's going to be times our worldviews will be in conflict because I will see certain situations through a grace lens that your worldview doesn't translate. 
because you don't accept grace with the same the same way I do. And guess what? Those probably aren't the situations we're going to be able to roll together, and that's okay. That's okay. I don't go to mass with Todd. I mean, I, I, there are some times it's okay that we don't agree. I think we need to give ourselves permission to not agree with one another more. I don't think the problem is we're arguing with each other. I think the problem is we're not arguing really at all. I think we're just venting. We're dehumanizing. We're, you know, labeling. So we don't really have a goal. Yeah, there's no resolution to be had, right? right? Nothing. We're just having tantrums. Why, Why won't you be a part of my tribe? Why won't you affirm my preferences and traditions and behaviors? I second and third and fourth this. This is exactly right. A few years ago, I had a gentleman who was working for, quote unquote, marriage equality, rainbow jihad, in Minnesota. And I know this because this is how, this was his Twitter bio. And I'm trying to remember, I can't remember the actor's name. Do you guys remember who's the actor who plays Spock in the new J.J. Abrams Star Trek movies? I wouldn't know. Oh, give me a second while you're talking. Yeah, I can't remember his name. Anyway, I when I saw the very first one, so this is actually almost, this was 2009, so it's almost 10 years ago now. Gosh, man. The years are flying by now. And Zachary Quinto. Zachary Quinto, thank you. And I had talked about what a remarkable performance he had given. True. This marriage equality advocate Twitter bombed me for days. And it was because, don't you know he's gay? And finally, after I don't know how many tweets, I finally responded. I said, listen, I, I think he's a pretty good actor. So when he's not uh, being gay, what's he doing the rest of the week? He's, there's nothing else to his life. So tell me, tell me, uh, you don't want me to identify you only by your sexuality, except when you do. Do you want me to recognize your humanity or not? Do you want me to recognize the, how you've mastered or are mastering your God-given talent or not? Do you it, want me to do this or not? It's more, they hate that you recognize it because it validates your worldview and won't let them straw man you. What you yes. you will still love me? That's they exactly hate right. that. Yes, that's 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 exactly right. That is exactly right. That's real pluralism. That is real diversity. Now it took me a long time to learn that lesson myself. I, I, I I'm not coming by this any easier than anybody listening to us is. I'm, I'm not. But one of the things that worries me about our culture, and Todd, you and I have talked about this on and off the air as parents. When you and I played Little League back in the day, first year I ever played Little League, 1981, South Des Moines Little League, I was, co- I was on the Indians. Chris Camito's dad was our coach. A bunch of us came from Miss Cardamon, second grade class at Howe. How about this? We went to Howe Elementary and we were the Indians. <laughs> All right. For South Des Moines Little League, 1981, I don't recall, and you know, the stepdad where I get my name from was a Democrat, union, activist, steward, all construction worker all my life. 
I don't recall ever knowing whether some kid's mom or dad voted for Carter or Reagan in the stands. Do you ever remember yeah, knowing that no, stuff? No idea. Did anybody even talk about it? Care? Or did you go there specifically because, guys, I get this everywhere else. Can we just watch our kids play baseball? I don't think it's like that anymore. I, I think we, we are, and see, the reason why is what we really want is validation and affirmation. Constantly. And so when we constantly crave desire, or constantly crave validation and affirmation, we will even bastardize terms like safe space. Your kid's Little League game used to be a safe space. Your kid's, Chris, your kid's school program used to be a safe space. Meaning, these were things we just recognized. We're just doing these because we live in this community and we like this community. We like this school district. We like this town. We like our country. We, we like being able to live here. We like our neighbors. And, you know, Mr. Manischewitz is going to wish me a Merry Christmas and I'm going to say Happy Hanukkah, even though I still don't know how the hell it's spelled. Okay, I mean, that's, that's what we did. That's what we did. We don't do that anymore. Everything now, everything has to be polluted with our differences. It's the show I did for, you know, I was on a panel on PBS after the 2016 election. And they were, they were doing a, a bipartisan perspective on how to handle Thanksgiving dinner after a divisive election, how to talk about it, how to bring it up. And only providentially, because I was the last one that agreed to do it, I actually was the last person that spoke on this montage. And you guys remember what I said? Uh, don't bring it up. This is the time and place for it. It's Thanksgiving, man. You're here to give thanks. We're here to gorge ourselves and then go Al Bundy and put our hands halfway down our pants and we can't button them afterwards while watching the Detroit Lions suck again. That's what we that's, that's America. All right, and our kids scream and yell when Santa shows up at the end of the Macy's parade because that means Christmas time has officially started. And we pretend to like half the people in our family that we really don't. And the other half, we're like, this is, this is going by too, too fast. We don't want to, we want to spend more time. To, that's what this is. Why do you desire to pollute this? I do this full time for a living. My life's work is the culture war. All right? So, and, and I'm doing this voluntarily. I could do other things for a living. They just might not pay me as well. But I could do other things. I made a career choice to make this my life's work a decade ago. And I'm telling you, as someone who voluntarily signed up to make this his way of life, you're going too far. There needs to be some boundaries, some places we respect one another's differences. The one uncle or aunt that I see once a year at Thanksgiving or Christmas, I shouldn't know what their favorite cable news channel is because I see them once a year and there ought to be 800 other things to talk about. Really? Really? Those were the real safe spaces. Now what it means is, I don't too, in places where we are supposed to have these debates, like a college campus, where I'm supposed to be forging my identity, forging my worldview, letting others challenge my presuppositions and premises. Now what we're going to do is we're going to pollute the places that aren't meant to be, to be uh, contaminated by our cultural differences. 
And we're going to immune and sanitize the places where we're supposed to really hash them out. Is it any wonder we are unraveling as a culture now? Any wonder? Seven Saturdays this fall, my favorite college football team, the University of Michigan, had 111,000 people sitting at the big house watching a game in a state I believe Donald Trump won by like three votes, guys. It <laughs> wasn't much more than that. It was real close. Whether the team was playing well, and too often this year it was not, or not as well as we had hoped, how many times do you think people looked around the stadium and said, did this person vote for Trump or Hillary? But there is an element increasing in our society that wants that to happen. That wants to make the National Football League its place of protest. Nothing, the same people telling us they want safe spaces really want none of them. Except they want the spaces that are supposed to be where we have these cultural arguments safe from viewpoints that they don't agree with. That's what they want. That's not pluralism. That's not diversity. That is syncretist, syncretistic tyranny. That's what that is. Now, one thing that's helped me quite a bit in my personal relationships, and if you're an old-time listener to this show, you've heard me talk about this before. If you're new, good news, you haven't. And that is what I like to call my open-handed and closed-handed philosophy. In my closed hand, I have my convictions convictions. These are things that I will not bend or change even for my wife and I love her more than all of you listening right now, I promise. She won't change my mind on these things because these things are individual, individual beliefs that I'm accountable to the most powerful being in the universe alone for. But I don't have a lot of these. There's not 30 things in my closed hand I haven't written them down in a while. I doubt there's 10. These are the things that I go to the mat for. I, I, I do. Because I think, I think eternity, existence, relies on these 10 things. And then in my open hand, I have my positions. So my closed hand, my convictions. In my open hand, I have my positions. These are things that I may feel more strongly about at any given time in my life or not, I might even change my mind on. With more learning, more relationships, more experience, wisdom, etc. And given what's going on in my life, I might care about some of these positions more than others. And then another time in my life, that might change. And I closely guard those convictions. And if you've ever been around me and, and you ask me a, a, a philosophical or political question, if you've ever heard me respond to you with, are you sure you want to have this conversation? That means one of two things. One, I'm in a bad mood. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry. That could mean that. The other, the other, it could be you've asked me about one of my convictions, which means I am happy to go down this road, but it's, it's not going to end with... Uh, I'd like to buy the world a Coke. It's going to end with either you agree with me or you don't. No middle ground. Because we're, we're in my conviction territory now. Now, positional territory, cool. 
have that out, man. I don't, and you might even change my mind on those things. My mind's been changed on a lot. I've talked over the years, I've talked about how libertarians have won a couple of major arguments with me. I used to be the kind of person that thought, after, especially after 9-11, hey, I think the surveillance state's a great idea. So we know who the bad guys are. Until we saw, uh, you know, what the Obama administration did. You know, so my libertarian friends, they taught me the old philosophy that it ain't no fun when the rabbits got the gun. Be careful giving government any power you wouldn't want people who don't agree with you or share your tribalism to have later on. They won that argument with me. They won the argument with me about, uh, you know, the idea that we can uh, colonize the uh, Middle East with uh, freedom and liberty and Americana. They won that argument with me. Then we get into areas like what's the definition of a marriage with my libertarian friends. They will never win that argument with me because they're, they're debating a conviction, not a position. Now, I don't need you to accept all of my convictions for us to be friends. But a lot of people kind of do. They do need you to affirm their convictions. My buddy David Limbaugh, Rush's brother, he wrote the, you know, wrote the introduction of Rules for Patriots was asking a question on Twitter yesterday, based on experience, are conservatives or liberals more likely to end relationships over politics? I'd like to tell you, in my experience, that it's always been liberals, but it's been pretty 50-50 to me. Liberals liberals that I've known have a tendency to, if they've cut off ties with me, it's because they found my principles repugnant. For conservatives, it's been because they have found my politics repugnant, meaning I won't back their particular candidate, tribe, faction, etc. I don't want to make the same compromise. That doesn't mean I'm above compromise. I just don't agree with this particular compromise. I don't think it gets me where I want to go. I mean, my, my local radio career, when I first crossed over to News Talk, I mean, I had the Republican governor calling my boss to have me fired from my job for daring to, you know, question whether he was going to keep his word on stuff. We had Planned Parenthood bought an ad schedule on my show. I responded by creating a fake public service announcement, which mocked and destroyed Planned Parenthood, used all their same music, branding and everything. Do you remember this, Todd? (laughs) Yes. All right. And they just canceled their contract and went away. (laughs) But the Republican (laughs) governor didn't like being questioned he wanted me removed off the airwaves so it just depended for me now not everybody has my personality maybe you and your personality aren't nearly as unlikable as mine so only people who tend to disagree with you are you you know alienated from politically and that's okay but but i, I it, it has been many many years since i since i mastered this open hand and closed handed philosophy it has been many years since i have purposefully broken off a relationship with someone over politics one one exception if you personally betray me and are and are disloyal dishonest what i mean disloyal meaning not that you didn't you don't agree with something but you you're treacherous might be a better way of putting it if you were treacherous then it's on like Donkey Kong. I have no quarter for that on any level at all. None. But beyond that, you've seen it over the years, Todd. I've had so many people, I'm never doing business with you again, Dace. And like a year or two later, we're united on a cause. And then people who thought I could do no wrong a year or two ago suddenly think I'm the worst person ever. I didn't change. Right. You, I just didn't, I didn't make the changes you wanted me to make. That's what you're offended by. 
I mean, there's a guy who I posted this morning on our, on our Facebook wall, the White House's immigration statistics. Did you guys see this? Yes. And, and one of the very first replies was a guy talking about how he doesn't trust Trump. He's dishonest. He doesn't, they didn't repeal him. It has nothing to do with what I just tweeted, what I just posted. Right. Nothing at all to do with it. See what they want to see, hear what they want to hear. Yes. I'm sorry that I don't hate Donald Trump enough to not take $5,000 of my own money that I freaking earned that he's willing to give back to me. Some of you do. Cool. Write the IRS a check. Show us the, show us the purity of your conviction. Send the money back. On the other hand, there is no amount of my own money Trump could give me back that would overlook him violating his promises on other issues I care about either. Meaning, it ain't personal for me with Trump. I don't care. And unlike almost all of you listening, I actually know the guy. I'm not changing who I am because I don't like him enough, nor am I changing who I am because I like him too much. I'm not changing for him. I'm not changing for any of you listening. I'm not changing for you guys. I'm not. I'm happy if we can get along, if we can work together, cool. A few years ago, we've got more unity in the pro-life movement in Iowa than we've likely ever had. You know why? Because one of the major reasons why, I believe, is because I removed myself from the equation. Because I went too far in calling out charades. Made it too personal. I didn't have this open-handed, close-handed thing mastered quite yet. And so I created too much collateral damage. And, I, and it made it so personal that even when I was right... I so personally frustrated and angered some people, they wouldn't accept it just because I was the source of it. So guess what I had to do? Swallow my own bile and eat some humble pie and walk away. And hire Tim Overland, who is our director at Personhood Iowa, and he has spent the last few years doing a masterful job smoothing over a lot of those relationships that some of them were bridges that needed to be torched. Some of them weren't. I torched them all. I didn't have to do that. Should have listened to John Lennon. Dear Prudence, won't you come out to play? No, we're going to leave Prudence inside. <laughs> I got this. Dear Flamethrower, won't you come out to play? Yes! By golly, yes! We have an endless supply of kerosene. Yes! More cowbell. Yes. But man, it's the Molly Hemingway line. I've quoted so often from the Federalist when Molly says... Absolute never-Trumpism corrupts every bit as much as never-Trumpism. I am watching Bill Crystal now talk about how great Oprah is. Tax cuts are bad. What? His father, Irving Crystal, one of the original neocons. Your buddy, Ryan T. Anderson, fellow Catholic over at the Heritage Foundation, was just affirmatively citing Irving Crystal on Twitter today as writing an ode to joy to capitalism. And now his son is so, is so just beside himself with hatred for Donald Trump that now he's tweeting out anti-tax cut screeds. I'm never, I'm never going to be that. Never. But that's who most of us want people like me to be. Join my tribe. Steve, are you a Calvinist? Steve, are you an Arminian? Steve, do you believe in premillennial dispensationalism? Not 
Steve, do you think of my own free will I can choose to follow God? Steve, can I, do you think I can lose my salvation? Steve, how do you think and when do you think Jesus will, will return? See how those questions are totally different depending on how they're framed? One is framed often with, do you belong to a tribe that is mine or anti-me? The other is honest intellectual inquiry. I don't care about your factions. I'm not joining. I don't care about your party. I'm not in. I don't care about your labels. Don't ask me. If you agree with me and my value system, I'll do whatever I can to help you. And if you don't, as long as you're not dishonest with me or backstabbing, it's not personal. We can still get along. There's a young man named Zach Walls who's brilliant from our home state of Iowa. Literally stood up at the legislature talking about his lesbian mothers advocating for redefining marriage a few years ago. He follows me on Twitter. We go back and forth about sports at least once every season. Why? Because I vehemently disagree with certain aspects of his moral value system. But he's still a guy named Zach Walls that is creating the image of God. Plus, I think he's got some pretty cool sports takes. He's welcome to hate me all that he wants, and I don't think that he does because he actually does a pretty good job of engaging me in the same way. But I am obligated to not return it if that were to change. There's a difference. That is true pluralism, easy for me to say. That is true diversity. Not the let's hide what what really divides us. Let's pretend that the stuff that really disagrees with us doesn't exist. Because the people that are urging us to hide those things and pretend they don't exist have no interest in in enforcing that standard on themselves. The goal is to get you to hide and pretend those things don't exist so they can then, once you've done that, once you have beaten your sword into a plowshare, then they then put their sword to your throat. That's the end game. No, I think we need more swords. Everybody show your sword. And... Be more honest. Let's have more arguments. Let's do it more often. I wrote a column last year defending Richard frickin' Dawkins. Why? Because I didn't appreciate I think the guy is, is playing a dangerous game with his soul. And is, is playing a dangerous game with the souls of people he's deceiving with his own God delusion. Pardon the pun. But by golly, I'm commanded to love my neighbor as I love myself. To treat others how I would want to be treated. And just as I would not want someone to say, because you don't believe a Muslim extremist ought to freely be allowed to invade your country and kill people, you can't speak to our group. That's what cost Richard Dawkins a speaking engagement last year, and I didn't believe in that. So I'm going to affirm his free speech rights, even if he hates me and thinks I'm the rube of history. Why? Because when I die, I'm not going to be accountable to Richard Dawkins. I'm going to be accountable to a higher power that demands that of me. So more argument, more debate. We're not arguing and debating now. We're spewing talking points, conflicting propaganda, and returning fake news for fake news and and hashtags more argument more debate let's have let's not beat our swords into plowshares more swords hold them high proudly 
And you're welcome to that sword provided you don't unjustly use it to cut somebody else down. That's real pluralism. That's real diversity. Syncretism is not for any of the things we've talked about here the last 20 minutes. It is for tolerance for me, not for thee. That's why you've often heard me say, how come every time we turn into Tolerance Boulevard, it's a one-way street? It was always supposed to be. Once you agree that, yeah, I probably don't need to believe these things anymore or talk about them, cool. We're going to believe now what we want even more and talk about them twice as much, especially to your kids, and you'll subsidize it. Closing thoughts, Todd. Well, I just want to follow up on that. How, we, we've marked, remarked quite a bit within the last five years how quickly the tide turn, and it's because of what you just said. Once that is established, once what critical mass is reached, whatever that is, you, you will go from, well, of course marriage is between a man and a woman, to transgender bathrooms like that. Just like we did. The buildup has been long. Uh, it has been dedicated by those who believe in syncretism. It has been uh, uh, unapologetic. And once they got us uh, and they realized uh, our, our, our soft belly was sufficiently exposed, it's very much game over. We don't even have the ability uh, to fight anymore. Which brings me, I just want to echo Steve's point about. Uh, that's why you have got to get back into fighting shape. You have to realize what a really good fight actually is uh, with an actual person, not straw men, not people you want to defeat, people you want to fight for in love, just like your God fought for you. Hmm. Aaron. Yeah, we always, I, I think, um, always checking our motivations whenever we interact with other people, especially those who disagree with us, or even when we get around people who disagree. Why are we just hanging around people who we agree with? Um, why do I uh, think this way or want to say this? We'll always check our motivations for why we treat people the way that we do. Is it out of a motivation of, I want you to be like me? Or is it out of a motivation of, um, trying to evangelize them, seeing them as um, uh, truly a another human being made in the image of God. I think, again, um, God himself is more concerned with our motivations for why we do uh, what we do um, than, um, than, than outward appearance. Uh, when, when Samuel uh, comes to the house of Jesse, um, you know, it says in the Bible, um, man looks at outward appearance, but God uh, looks at, at the heart. So we always have to check our motivations in this arena and truly ask ourselves, am I just hanging out around people who agree with me because I that makes me feel safe? Um, or am I uh, really, do I really believe what I believe in? Am I willing to actually go and take this message to people who, who don't agree with me or don't see eye to eye with me? Hmm. Well said. Yes. And be willing to do that now, as Aaron suggests, before they shut down all the avenues for us to do that, because that is what they would like to do. Confusion instead of clarity, until it is 
their clarity. That'll do it for today's free podcast. Don't forget CRTV.com promo code DACE. Tomorrow we conclude the seven deadly worldviews. Until then, John 317. This is Steve Dace. I like it, you.